You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for Pirates. Welcome in to just another sports podcast here on the Sports Objective Podcast Network, if you will. I'm your host each and every week, Kyle from LaGrange Barber, and normally I'd be joined by the head coach of uh, Northeast Academy in beautiful Alaska, North Carolina, Stevie Fly, but unfortunately, Stevie lost his father unexpectedly. Um, he had been sick for uh, really since Sunday, as far as I know, and I believe he passed away. Uh, overnight last night, early this morning, Bubba. Do you have more details on uh, passing of Stevie's father? I don't. Uh, you, you said everything that I, I know. Um, what Stevie was sharing with us in our group text as far as um, passing away in the, the wee hours of the morning. And um, and I believe your timeline was correct as far as the last 48 to 72 hours. Yeah, so, so uh, thoughts and prayers to Stevie and his wife, uh, his daughter, um, and all the – the rest of the members of Stephen's family and, and his friends. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure his, uh, his, his, uh, his football team as they're preparing for the season. Northeast Academy is, uh, also, uh, has uh, coach fly on their thoughts and prayers. So, uh, y- you know, well, hopefully Stevie will be back with us next week or whenever he feels up to doing the show, but, uh, Bubba's pitch hitting tonight and, uh, and, and Bubba tonight, uh, for the first guest of just another sports podcast, we have uh, one of the greatest punters in East Carolina history and uh, the man who handles the analyst duties for away games on the uh, ECU Sports Radio Network or whatever it's called, uh, Mr. Andrew Bays. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. It's great to uh, be back talking pirate football. Andrew, we're going we're to talk about a few subjects tonight, um, but... First, uh, Ben, you um, are the analyst for the away games. First, just to confirm that, are you are you just doing away games again this year? I am. I am just doing away games. Because of Kevin Monroe still doing the home games. Correct. Yep. Okay. As far as I know, that's, that's the way we're rolling with it. Okay. And obviously, you know, everybody knows, it goes without saying, you know, what all happened with the passing of Jeff Charles and, uh, you know, um, and, and then the the whole fiasco with the hiring process. I will not ask you to comment on that, Andrew. We, we, uh, unless you want to, um, but we, uh, <laughs> we, we, we got Jim Zoki, um, uh, as the, uh, temporary voice of the pirates for, uh, for football. Uh, are you, are you familiar with Jim from, from the Carolina Panthers radio network? Uh, have you had a chance to talk to him yet? Uh, what are your thoughts on working with, uh, Zoki? Yeah, so we've we've been in touch uh, through email this week. Um, uh, David Horn's lined up a, a call for the team this Friday, uh, so we're going to have an opportunity to all kind of uh, introduce ourselves and kind of um, go through some some pregame planning for the season. And um, you know, Jeff and and Marty were a big part of the production, uh, as you all know, uh, over the years and. Uh, with myth, missing both both of them this year, it's it's going to change uh, the scope of the production quite a bit. So um, all hands need to be on on deck to 
kind of um, get things straight for the for the game day production. You so know, you only got to touch work. base on Friday. You only got to work with Jeff for one season. Obviously, Jeff called many of your games when you were punting. Um, just briefly, uh, you're, you're, and we, I know we had you on before after Jeff passed, but uh, briefly, just your thoughts of working with Jeff for one season and what you took away from him uh, working with him for the uh, brief time you did. Yeah, man, it was a absolute blessing. Um, you know, from, from the moment he called me, uh, last summer, early last summer, uh, with the opportunity to, to jump on with, with him and Kevin and, and David and Marty and, uh, be a part of that, um, to, you know, my, my, my first call down, uh, down in Boca Raton, uh, for South Florida game. Um, you know, it was pretty, pretty stressful. And he, he was just incredible. Um, you know, we'd meet every night on the road, uh, as a, as a team, as a broadcasting team and kind of go through the broadcast for the next day. Um, and he would have everything mapped out. I mean, to a T, um, every segment, you know, kind of things that he'd want to cover some things that he would want me to cover. And, um, you know, those meetings would kind of, um, I'm sure Kevin probably shared similar stories, but they would just go, you know, it'd be awesome. They would just go on because, you know, there'd be just some side discussion about something and it would open up a, a, you know, a memory of a game or, you know, a road trip or something that he would share or, you know, Marty or David or somebody would jump in and share. And, um, you know, of course on game days, Jeff Charles, you know, wanted to be at the, you know, at the stadium four hours before game. So I, I of course, was going to be there right, right, right there with him. And, you know, I got to see some of the non-glory aspects of a radio broadcast. Jeff Charles, um, you know, we would take an Uber from, from the hotel to get over to the stadium early. And, of course, we had credentials, and but we'd have to navigate, find our way, get into a stadium. And, um, you know, of course, go down to the, the pirate locker room and find the the broadcast case that include all the hardware and uh, microphones and everything needed to to broadcast the game and jeff charles and david and myself would push those push them up to the you know find an elevator get up to the press booth and and they'd set up and um you know four hours before the game you know we we once we got david settled um you know, Jeff and I would have more discussion. He'd do a little bit more homework. I'd do a little bit more homework and, you know, share some more stories. And those were the downtimes, you know, the dinners the night before the, the, you know, four hours before the games where, you know, he'd tell me some, some great stories and, you know, he shared with me, I kind of got a sense that, you know, retirement was near uh, talking to him through the season this, this year. Um, you know, he had his eye on an independent uh, league baseball team that uh, he was looking to, to purchase. And that was going to be part of his retirement um, was, you know, being a, having an ownership in an independent league and or an independent team in, in, in Michigan or I'm sorry, Ohio. And, um, you know, I remember the Cincinnati game. He had a mayor of that of that city come out to the to the booth and and sit with us and um you know, it was just, it was great. Uh, I, I shared a lot of good memories with him. Um, you know, he was, he was not, he was 
you know, as far as being critical to me, he was never harshly critical, but he did it in his own way, which was very um, thoughtful. And with a lot of years of experience, he had a way to word, you know, the things that he would want me to try to try to accomplish during that broadcast. And um, I, I learned quite a bit from from the moment when I when I started really being super green to his patience working with me through the season. Um, I was super, super thankful for that and grateful for the time that I had with them. No doubt. I mean, obviously Jeff's a legend, uh, and even getting to work with him a short period of time, you would have had to learn a lot from him, particularly, like you said, all the stories he had to tell you at dinner or before hours before the game, when you were sitting in the booth, uh, speaking of, you talked about having to find the, uh, the press box and stadiums and navigate your way down to the pirate locker room to get the equipment, et cetera. You're going to have quite a tall task of doing that game one uh, no pressure at all for you and uh jim zoki uh you zoki's gonna be calling his first game for the pirates in the big in the big house in michigan and uh andrew i would imagine for you uh this has got to be your first game without jeff and uh is, is that the freaking big house in michigan no pressure huh <laughs> yeah no and it, it, it got real earlier this week when i saw the nbc had assigned mike Tarico and uh chris sims on the tv call for nbc i believe um, so it, it, to me, it kind of snapped, snapped real when I, when I saw that and, um, Pe- Peacock, I yeah, never, it's not going to be on NBC, Peacock. Be streamed on Peacock, oddly enough. Yeah. That's right. That that's right. Well, I, um, yeah, I, I never had an opportunity to play in the big house. Um, I've never been to the big house. Um, and I'm looking forward to that trip. It's going to be quite an experience. You know, the pirates have incredible opportunity. Um, one, just experience that as uh as student athletes but two as an as an opportunity to get in there and you know showcase the program and and put put their best foot forward to you know you, it's rare you get a national showcase like that to be able to show what your program can be be about and uh so for the program it's a great recruiting um tool and i know they'll take advantage of it yeah it's been taking on uh a team that a lot of people think is going to win the national championship this year, preseason top five in everybody's poll. Uh, most people top two or three. Um, they, uh, it's a great opportunity for the pirates, but their best foot, best foot forward and have a good showing in the big house. And part of the, uh, part of the game. And if we're going to have a chance to be competitive with Michigan, we're going to have to perform well on special teams. So the, you can't, have misuse and special teams and, and expect to be even in the ball game remotely with, with a team like Michigan, you get a block punt, you, uh, you shank, you, you shank a punt, you, you, you miss critical field goals. You have a field goal block. It's something like that against Michigan. You think to get out of hand in a hurry. So, uh, Andrew being, you are who you are. And, uh, one of the greatest punters to ever do it at East Carolina, uh, me and Bubba thought we would uh, break down special teams with you, if, if you don't mind. And uh, I guess we'll start with your area of expertise sure. is uh, is punting. And uh, we um, we 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 got you know um, the, the the kid from Mississippi State transferred in here. Um, his name is Archer Tafford. If I, I'm saying that name right, Bubba. Archer. <clears throat> Archer Trafford. Trafford. Archer Trafford. Yes. What, what what are your thoughts on him? Have you seen video of him from Mississippi State? Obviously, he uh, he was starting punter there for a couple of years. Um, so kicked in the SEC or punted in the SEC. 
I believe he averaged 42 or 43 yards a punt. Um, your thoughts on him and, and what you've seen on tape, and I don't know if you've had a chance to see him in practice any. Yeah, no, I haven't seen him in practice yet. Just seen him on film. You know, he's he runs about 6'2", 6'3", 220, so he's a good-sized kid. He's got a big leg, um, you know, and I, he's going to have every opportunity to, to to start going into Michigan game one. You know, with, you know, the whole kicking experience, I don't need to tell you guys or any Pirate fan, really, the, the whole kicking experience last year was just very, you know, uh, uninspiring. It was very ho-hum and uninspiring. Um, and they, you know, they have to get that right. You know, you have to have, um, you know, somebody that can flip the field every once in a while, you know, especially when you're playing in a place like the big house, you've got to take some pressure off the defense in tight games and, you know, potentially give, give your defense some energy um, by turning that field. So offense stalls out, maybe goes, you know, negative yardage on their first drive. You know, now all of a sudden your punter has the opportunity to flip the field and make them, instead of having a short, you know, shank punt or a short punt where they end up in the middle of the field, you know, you've got a guy that can turn it and, you know, can give you a 60-yard punt every once in a while. Not every time, but, you know, in big spots, be able to give you something that's going to turn that field, drive them back, and have them starting back on a 35-yard line or a 30-yard line or whatever it might be. Um, that difference in 15, 20 yards, it, it, it makes all the difference in the world for a defense psychologically when you're, you're running out, you know, with Michigan on the 50 yard line, as opposed to running out, you know, with, with them back at the 30, 35 yard line and coming out of the first series. So it gives you some breathing room as a defense and allows you to kind of get into that defensive set without having the pressure of a short field. And, you know, I, I believe that that, you know, that's what we're going to see is hopefully Trafford's going to be able to give them, you know, field flipping ability that I don't think that Luke Larson was able to deliver consistently last year. He had some games where he had some big punts. Um, but as far as, you know, you, you really need a guy that can turn the field when, when you need it most. Um, and the field goal kicking, you know, you just need a little bit more consistency. Um, you know, the Pirates played in a lot of tight games last year. Um, where games were settled in, in, you know, uh, tight, tight scores and, you know, win wins and losses and field goals and extra points made, made the difference. And, um, we've seen that over the last couple of years and I know, you know, they're trying their best to, um, Mike Houston's trying his best to, to address that, you know, with given scholarships, you know, what they had been committed and, you know, trying to navigate that and get some new talent in. And I think he's doing it from everything I'm reading as far as um, the camp's going. I think they're on the on the right path there. Yeah, he, he has alluded to giving a lot more live time to special teams during fall camp than he has in the past uh, in things I've heard. So that's a good thing. Um, we'll talk about Tafford a little bit more. Trafford, well, it's hard. Tafford. I mean, he's, he's been he's – been... I think we yeah. got some lag, Andrew. Um, well, what I was going to say is he – you Go ahead, Andrew. Okay. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I think in prior years, Mike Houston has had to build this program. And, you know, you can't fix everything overnight. And you got to pick and choose. You only have so much time with these players. 
and maybe special teams fell down the pe pecking order. It's, po it's possible. There are other priorities. And I think um, moving forward, Mike Houston's done a great job stabilizing and building this roster with depth where now you can turn some focus on some, you know, given a little bit more time than you were able to before on special teams. So uh, it's good to hear that he, you know, special teams getting a bit, bit more work um, early in camp and kind of build that foundation for, for the rest of the season. No doubt. Uh, what I was going to ask to touch on Archer a little bit more, um, kicking at the big house or punting at the big house, uh, coming from the SEC, uh, at least he shouldn't be intimidated. Yeah, 100%. I mean, he's, you know, he's familiar with playing in those big environments. Um, so he's going to, he, he's going to relish in the opportunity. I, it, you know, if I'm in his shoes, you know, I've been, I've been in similar games. I've been in similar stadiums, uh, similar crowds, similar circumstances. Um, he should thrive in that environment. Yeah, you touched on the kickers a little bit already. Uh, Andrew Conrad last year uh, had his moments. Uh, game winner against BYU. Uh, kicked, a, kicked a big kick against Cincinnati. Um, was pretty consistent. I don't think people realize how consistent he was. Um, a lot of talk of Jerry Rice transferring in, transferring in from BMI. Uh, word is out of practice, Rice has not looked well up to this point. Um in terms of the competition, he may be third or fourth on the depth chart right now um, uh, before we go into the first scrimmage. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, what did you see out of Conrad last year? What does he need to improve on to become um, even more consistent? And have you, have you had a chance to see any of the other kickers, like any of the tape from Rice uh, out of BMI? Yeah, I haven't seen, I haven't seen Rice kick, but I mean, I've, Laith Marjan is another is another one, and uh, right, yeah, you know, I got an opportunity to see Conrad and Marjan. Um, both of them, they they traveled, and I was able to see them prior to games. Um, in you know, leg strength is is the big one. Um, you know, Con Conrad at times can show power, um, but he, you know, he's gonna he's gonna give you the consistency, you know probably locked in from, from 40 yards in and outside of that, it's going to, it's, you know, the consistency might, might wane. So this, this off season, I'm sure he's bulked up. Um, I'm sure he's gotten stronger in the program with big John, you know, late's a big, bigger legged kid that, you know, of course, bigger leg, you gotta, you gotta harness that, that energy and be, be solid and consistent with it. So, you know, they're, they're two different style kickers. Um, and that's a good thing for Mike Houston, you know, when it when there's a kicker battle, especially when you when you sprinkle in a transfer. Um, so, you know, between the three of them, hopefully cream rises to the top and, you know, they they all three put together an excellent camp um, where they're driving each other, you know, kicking. I tell everybody whether it's kicking or punting, um, there's nothing better than peer peer based uh, pressure, peer-based, uh, training, you know, when, when you're able to elevate the next guy and that guy's able to elevate you, you know, the, the, the competition's going to get better. The results are going to get better. So hopefully those guys are in a, a super, you know, dead heated battle. 
because at the end of the day, you know, we're going to have a kicker that's, that's coming out of that um, ready to go for the season. So, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for all of them um, and I'm rooting for all of them to do well because I know the end result is going to be a better kicker. We saw, we saw Blake kick off the second half of last year and he did a good job of that. You mentioned, uh, you know, seeing uh, his leg strength. Uh, would, would you would you consider kicking two kickers in place kicking duties? Whereas, if, for example, if Conrad is, is extremely accurate from 40 in, uh, you know, use him for PATs and short kicks and then uh, use uh, Lay for, for, uh, for longer field goals that are maybe out of uh, Conrad's range if he's more accurate just doesn't have the leg strength where life does yeah i mean the way that that you know i believe you can you know you're just traveling with more players these days like i i don't i don't see why not um you know if you've got a guy that has a bigger leg a fresh leg and is going to give you a shot, maybe give you a better shot than another, than another player, you know, that that's, I mean, heck, that's something Steve Logan did. Um, yeah. Exactly. You know, he, he did that were... over years. Um, you know, it's opportunity, you know, maybe you don't feel great about this guy from a long distance, but you feel better about this guy, you know, you, you roll with it and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but you know, it, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, roll them in. If you, you know, in the NFL, you can't do it because your roster's so thin. You know, you can only carry so many guys. But in college football, it's it's a little bit different. The, the other part of special teams, obviously, is the return game, punt return and kick return. Um, you know, coach uh, was asked after practice on, uh, I believe, Monday, uh, who's returning kicks and punts, and there's some competition back there. Uh, I got the list. Bubba, do you have the list in front of you? You could probably read them all faster than me and uh, get Andrew's opinion on each one. Might have put Bubba on the spot there when he wasn't ready. Uh, so I got it. Uh, so, uh, no, I would. I'd step away for a moment. What did you ask, Kyle? Uh, so the, the 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 coach Houston on Monday um, was uh, was was prompted uh, asked about. Uh, Kick, kick return duties and punt return duties. And uh, oh, yeah. he listed several players. And I said, you probably can read that list all faster than I can and get Andrew's opinion on each. Yeah, we'll start with the punt returners. Um, you had Josh Murphy, who's coming off an injury. But him, Josh is a receiver that had played with Mason Garcia in high school down at Carolina Forest um, in Myrtle Beach in that general area. And then you had um, also Brock Spalding. And Brock, Brock Spalding. Um, and then you also have Jalen Johnson. Um, he, he's, some, he's someone that you know, could be a factor in that. That's not surprising to see him listed. And then, um, and then you also have, there's also another name or two that he mentioned, including a very talented freshman, um, freshman running back, um, Sorry, I'm drawing a blank on him now. Multitasking here, but um, Jalen Bond. No, that's all right. Yeah, so, sorry, J- and sorry. My son was asking me something. J- and yes, Javius Bond. Javius Bond. Yeah, Javius Bond is somebody brought up. And then um, on uh, kickoff returns, Rajay Harris was brought up. Um, Green, or the transfer from Georgia Southern, was brought up. Um, your thoughts on, uh, on on the return game, uh, Andrew? Uh, who, 
if it, if, it, if it was up to you, who, who would you have back there kick, yeah, returning kickoffs and punts? And you, you got you got yeah, to I figure. Mean, um, go ahead. Yeah, the threats to me are Jalen Jalen Johnson and Josiah Hatfield. Yeah, and at the I, end he, of the you day, know, he when, didn't even really mention Hatfield, but you know he's got to be in the mix. He he had a uh, punt return for a touchdown or a kickoff return for a touchdown against Temple this past year. Yeah, and and Marlon Gunn, I'm sure, is mixed in on the kick return as well. At the at the end of the day. You know, going into Michigan, you're, you know, uh, at least for every team I played on, we had all kinds of guys that we try, you know, kick return, punt return because of their, you know, the, the threat of them, you know, Keaton Mitchell. You put Keaton Mitchell back there, you know, he's got a chance to take it back every time, you know, but you got to give Keaton Mitchell a blow and he can't be back there, especially if, you know, you guys are, you know, the team's getting worked. You can't have him back there every time if he's your starting running back. So you got to have a, a, a good number of, of returners. But when when it comes down to it, you know, when you go to Michigan, you get, you've got to trust who's back there. So you got to have a guy that you know is going to field a punt, is not going to muff a punt. Uh, you got to have a guy, kick returner, that's not going to make a, a bonehead decision um that's going to hurt you early in the game or even late in the game so you know as the season starts i would think that you know it's going to be guys that coach is fairly comfortable with um guys have been out there and done it before and then you start to mix in you know the other guys that are bigger threats that maybe have you know are are a bit a, a bit more like a jitterbug like keaton mitchell um you know some maybe mix in a freshman um, but you know, if he's putting a freshman back there in Michigan, he's got to feel really great about, about that. So, you know, I, I would lean towards the guys that have done it. Marlon Gunn, Josiah Hatfield, Jalen Johnson, um, just to get me out the gate. And then we go, and then we go from there. It's two you know, names, that, two names that were mentioned by, by uh, coach Houston that me and Bubba brought up, uh, our guys with experience, Jalen Johnson and, and Roger Harris. Now, let me ask you both this. Uh, Andrew and Bubba, uh, Jalen injury prone at Georgia last year, stayed banged up most of the year, extremely talented. Uh, Roger Harris coming off of a major knee injury, uh, according to Coach Houston, back to 100%. I'm a big believer that you, if I got guys that I know are coming back from injuries or injury prone, I don't play them on special teams. I don't know if you guys agree with that. I guess you could always go with the logic. If they're going to get hurt, they're going to get hurt. you got to play your best players. Uh, but I, I would not have either one of those kids back there returning punts or kickoffs uh, with their injury history. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I listened to Mike Houston from a couple of days ago talking about um, Rajay and um, he, his, his comments were basically there are no limitations. And I, you know, yep. unless unless he he hears from the sports med department, you know, he he fully expects, you know, one hundred percent effort, one hundred percent commitment. So I I don't I don't anticipate him pulling any stops for Rajay. I know, you know, he's got some mental obstacles to get over when you come up come back from a significant injury like that. It's it's really a lot of your limitations are between the ears, and you've got to overcome getting hit for the first time or making that deep cut on your knee for the first time, or, you know, uh, getting, getting wrapped up in a, in a scrum 
and having a defensive tackle bring you down from the knees in a scrum, you got to get over that for the first time. So I think he, he, he wants to give as much exposure to him going through this camp uh, to overcome some of those mental hurdles. And he, you know, those type of things, these coaches know these players inside and out. And you know when a player is, is playing hesitantly. And Mike Houston's going to have a great feeling of, of where he's at going into that first week of whether he's still playing hesitantly or whether he's, he's, he's going full go. And uh, from everything I've read, you know, the report's been great that he, that Harris looks great and um, making cuts and doing all the things that he needs to do. Um, so, you know, there's that, I, I don't, I don't know if Mike Houston will put a limitation on special teams. You know, if he, if he feels that that's the best place for him at that time to help the team win, I, I don't think he'd put a, uh, any kind of restraint on that. And I guess the same could be said for Jalen Johnson and Jalen, uh, you know, he not major injuries, but he gets nicked up a lot and need to keep him healthy. But I guess, uh, same would apply if, he, if, if no limitations, just play him. If, if he can help yeah, with, and, with kick returns, put him back there. And let's be honest. It, it depends on what, what the, what the situation in the and down and distance in the game is too. Sure. If um, you know, if it's a tight game, you, you want your you want your best guys back there. And if the team, if the you know Pirates get up big or fall behind big, then things change. Take Andrew, a look at, you, go ahead, Bob. I'm taking a look at those kick returners. Um, there was some overlap there with Javius Bond and also Brock Spalding, but you also had Gerald Green, the transfer running back from Georgia Southern, factoring in Marlon Gunn. He had four kickoff returns yeah. last year, averaged uh, about 29 per, and he's someone that Coach Houston mentioned yesterday after practice. Uh, you also had Jari Patterson, um, the transfer wide receiver from Marshall, uh, who's from Asheville. Um, he he – factored in and then I was a little surprised to hear Rajay mention I think that would probably be more if um, you know you had somebody go down uh, we shall see and then uh, and then he didn't mention this guy but you know he's going to factor in and that's Josiah Hatfield yeah. um, he just didn't he just forgot to mention him or maybe intentionally left him out but Josiah Hatfield uh, took 197 to the house at Temple last year yeah no doubt yeah. um well, you mentioned Bubba Green from uh, Georgia Southern. And he's a guy who's a proven commodity as a running back, but probably will be th third on the depth chart. So he's somebody that you could really utilize in special teams. Yeah, um, no doubt. Uh, Gerald Green, you, you've seen his playmaking ability. Um, I did not check to see if he returned kicks at Georgia Southern. That's a good question, but uh, – but yes, uh, your point holds true with uh, with his uh, situation. I, I think he'll get a significant number of snaps, but um, it may make more sense to put him back there more so than Marlon Gunn. We we shall see. Yeah, and and, and if you're joining us live now and you're wondering where Stevie Fly is, uh, as we open the show, Stevie is going to be co-hosting the show with me each and every week. But he unfortunately lost his father in the early morning hours. Um. Tuesday morning, and uh, so uh, thoughts and prayers again with Stevie, and uh, he'll he'll be joining us um, 
as, as the season goes on, as soon as he fills up to it. Uh, but, Andrew, uh, one thing you had brought up to me and Bubba uh, privately, um, you, you're on the uh, Hall of Fame committee, and uh, you wanted to discuss um, the induction process for the Hall of Fame. And, you know, um, it sounds like there's an issue with people not getting nominated. And, you know, people need to know out there in Pirate Nation, anybody can nominate somebody, any player. And a player has to be nominated or an administrator. They have to be nominated to get into the Hall of Fame. So so let's say you want Larry Shannon in the Hall of Fame like I do. Well, then I need to nominate Larry Shannon. Talk about that process, Andrew, and uh, the move to potentially change it to an every two-year Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for allowing me to, to talk about it. Yeah, I've, I it is, uh, you know, I think, Amongst my peers, you know, former teammates and former student athletes, I, I think there there has been some confusion over the years, really, of just what what the process is and um, how it goes about and um, who's nominating who and who's doing what. And it, it is not that complex. You know, it's I think I was telling you guys, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of former pirate student athletes out there that have never been nominated that really truly deserve to be or at least deserve to be considered to be in the the athletics hall of fame and um you know each student athlete has got to be nominated and that that's whether it's love loved ones fans um a friend you know somebody that's uh you know knows this athlete's story and knows what they did for this program and can convey that on the questionnaire on the uh nom- nomination form um you know that there's a considerable amount we have the conversation me and my my, my former teammates myself we have conversations all the time of of guys that wait that guy's not in or this guy's not in and um you know it, it kind of goes round and round so i just wanted to take the time to make sure that you know, pirate fans out there, you know, if there's someone that, that, you know, should be considered, um, go online. ECU athletics has a hall of fame, uh, nomination form on their website. It's pretty easy to find if you Google it and take the time to submit the form. Um, you know, there's, there's a number of student athletes get, that have, that get considered every year. And as you know, the hall of fame classes are fairly small. Um, this, this year we had four that were inducted, um, or that will be inducted and, um, you know, it's a special thing. So, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, those that, that should be considered are being considered and, um, you know, do your part if you can, if you have the time, if you are able to, to get in and submit these nominations. Um, so I appreciate, I appreciate that. Yeah, and, and and right now they're talking about changing it to an every two year thing, instead of every instead of it being every year, and uh, you know having a bunch of more nominations, qualified nominations. Don't just you know nominate somebody because he's your cousin and you like him, but he needs to have a significant. You know, we were talking about guys from the '90s, guys like Leonard Henry, guys like Troy Smith, guys like Larry Shannon. All those guys should be in the Hall of Fame. You know, Dwayne Harris got nominated this year, so you know I'm sure he'll he'll continue to be brought up. You know, Justin Hardy, Zay Jones, you know, all these guys, Jeff Carr, 
Uh, you know, it, we could just keep naming people that I, I, from the football program that you know I deem Hall of Fame worthy. So if you don't want this thing to go to an every two year event, if you would like to see guys get into the Hall of Fame, not just in football but in all sports, every year it's good camaraderie for for the for former student athletes for alum. That's one thing I think we need more involvement, and one thing we pushed hard for here on the Sports Objective is involving former student athletes to you know to, to stay involved with East Carolina, um, and uh, you know having the Hall of Fame goes go to, go to every two years, you know that's just less involvement and less engagement for former student athletes. So uh, let's get the nominations up again. Like I say, don't just nominate your cousin because he was third string long snapper and you liked him. But, you know, think about the players who played here in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s that made significant contributions, football, baseball, basketball, women's sports, and uh, and nominate them. Uh, Let's get such a compelling list of qualified nominees that we have to continue to do this thing every year. That's right. That's right. There's there's a lot of great student athletes that have have been uh, in and out of that program. And uh, there's been a lot of success inside the pirate program, not just football. Um, and yeah, I, you know, every two years is tough for me because I, you know, living in town, I look forward to the, the hall of fame induction. I, am, I, I always look forward to student athletes that maybe I went to school with or whatever it might be, come back in town and bring their families, celebrate them, uh, have an opportunity for for them to share a moment on the field, and the night of the induction is a great ceremony, and um, so it's a good thing all the way around. And um, you know, I don't I don't love that. I understand why it's going to two years, but I you know I don't love it. Um, but hopefully, it's something that you know as as uh, as we move forward, you know, if we can get the message out to take the time and get these. Uh, get these nominations in and completed um, over the years it you know, we can move back to, to having it every year. Now we got to get Frank Waller in there now that he's uh, you know, semi not coaching, I guess not an on the field role anymore. You talk about a guy who should be a first ballot hall of famer for ECU, uh, even though he was never head coach here. Steve Shank Waller contributed just as much to East Carolina athletics as anybody in the world. Um, yeah, if, if someone can tell a story about pirate athletics, he's he's the man. No doubt, he's, um, a, great, he's a great man. You know, one thing that uh, Andrew that um, that uh, Bubba and I had, uh, or Stevie and I had discussed, and then I discussed it with Bubba once uh, found out Stevie wasn't going to be able to participate. Is uh, me, me and Stevie both like doing lists. We're a bit like big game boomer. Only our lists are a little shorter. We're going to do top fives. So. Uh, me and uh, me and Bubba have both compiled our list of the top five most memorable season openers in pirate football history. Andrew, feel even though you didn't do a list, feel feel, feel free to uh, contribute your thoughts. Maybe uh, maybe you have some that you think should be in there that we leave out. But uh, Bubba, you want to kind of? I gotta go. I gotta. I got to go back. 1996 season opener, home opener against East Tennessee State University. That was my first college football home home game, uh, college football game ever. Uh, it was a Pirate victory, 45 to 21, and um, that game was a complete blur to me. Um, you know, it, it was exciting because family came in town. Um, you know, you, you've been on campus for a little while for about a month and a half, maybe by that time, 
and uh, the game is just flying by. And uh, Coach Logan had me as a reserve player and uh, told me that Matt Levine, who was the starting punter at the time, was gonna was gonna get the first punt, and I, I would get the second punt, and then we'd go from there and see how it went. And uh, he let me go out in the second punt. I, I did not shank it. Uh, I think I hit like a 40, 40 yarder and um, he, he let me, he let me stay in the rest of the game. And uh, we kind of ran that way every game, maybe for the next four games. And then, um, and then he let me, let me run with the rest of the season and the rest of my career. But, you know, that, that one, um, you know, I can almost envision, you know, the locker room, uh, the locker room prep, my, my pregame warm up kind of being lost with that and um you know the 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 after of the game being a student athlete being able to share a pirate victory at home you know and have have some have some party life after that that was that was awesome let me ask you this andrew do you remember what happened about 36 hours before that game shoot i don't are you gonna you gonna tell me yeah we had hurricane come through hurricane uh hurricane fran Came through Eastern North Carolina about thirty six hours before the game, and power was out. Yeah, power was out in Grable up until about twelve hours before kickoff, if I remember right. That's crazy. Yeah, we. I was in Scott Hall. I was in Scott Hall on uh, College Hill during that hurricane. Yeah. Yep. So there, there, there's a. You, you remember? The, yeah, jogged your memory. You remember the game, but didn't remember the hurricane. <laughs> And that yeah, game, I, I that game finished up forty-five twenty-one, um, but it was much closer than that. It was um, pretty uncomfortable there, maybe early mid third quarter. Yeah, I mean, I like we should have. It shouldn't have been that close, the way I remember it. No, and, and for that very reason that it was East Tennessee State, it will be no surprise that it did not make either of our top five most memorable season ever. <laughs> so I'm sorry, sorry, to, but. But I'll start. Bubba, we'll rotate, and Andrew, you comment. Um, we're we're going to start with number five on my list. And Andrew, this is a game you played in. My number five most memorable season opener is going to be 1999, the East-West Showdown in Charlotte, North Carolina. The Pirates come from behind, down by one point on the final drive of the game. You win it on the last play, as, as Steve Logan used to say. David Garrard. And company, uh, Keith Stokes has some big plays on the drive. I believe Jamie Wilson was maybe playing running back. And they drive down the field to beat the Mountaineers in Charlotte. Uh, that would be number five on my list. Uh, Bubba, what do you have as number five? And then we'll get Andrew to comment on that game. Number five, I had the season opener in 2005. First game of the Skip Holtz era. Pirates 24, Duke Blue Devils 21. Um, it was a game that I really... You know, after two very trying seasons uh, under John Thompson and you know, in three straight losing seasons overall, it, you really felt like um, that was a game that got the Skip Holtz era off on the right foot. Uh, you, you had Mar- Markeith McQueen nearly return the opening kickoff for a touchdown. And you had a big game by Andre Allison. Um, and then Duke did return a a kickoff, I think, a hundred yards for a touchdown, but we were able to overcome that, and then and held on there at the end. Correct, Andrew. Looking back um, at that '99 West Virginia game, what are your memories of that? I think I remember Jeff Carr, uh, hopefully future 
ECU Hall of Famer Jeff Carr. I think I remember he broke Mark Bulger's collarbone uh, on a sack. He, I saw. I was while I was watching. You didn't know it at the time, but I was watching that. I bet you I saw that play the other night. Was it late in the game, like late second half? I think it was. Yeah, yeah. because I mean we were chipping. We were chipping away, and I remember. Like that. That was he, he one sacked of our, the 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 crap out of him. I mean, it was it was yeah brutal. But we 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 did that all season long. Like that that was kind of the beginning of it. Uh, that was, you know, we were a well conditioned team that was built to win late in games, as yep. you know. And um, that was that was always one of those uh, benchmark moments in in big games where. You know Jeff Carr or Pernell Griffin or you know Rod Coleman or somebody would would make a big hit late, and a quarterback would go out. We we must that season we must have knocked out four or five quarterbacks out of games, and that yeah. that was one of them. Mark Bolger was one of them. Yeah, I very very memorable game, great win, and that game's on YouTube. If anybody wants to check it out, uh, you can find the East Carolina West Virginia game from '99 on YouTube. Uh, my number four is Bubba's number five, uh, East Carolina Duke, 2005, the first game of the Skip Holtz era. After that abysmal John Thompson, two seasons we had under him. Skip comes in game one. We were home underdog, a six-point underdog, if I remember correctly, to Duke at home, ACC opponent. And uh breakout game for Andre Allison. Just played good, solid football and found a way to win. So I won't dive into that much any further because uh, – Bubba already mentioned it. It was his number five. It's my number four. Bubba, what's your number four? My number four, September 5th, 1987, East Carolina 32, NC State 14. I, I was six years old, and that's really some of my earliest pirate football memories as far as vividly remembering bits and pieces of that game. And I, I remember probably mid to late fourth quarter uh, when it was clear the Pirates – had the game put away up 18, my dad said, you know, if I tell you to duck here in a minute and be, be sure to, you know, duck down and cover your head because and because these fans around us, these wolf packers are going to start throwing bottles and stuff. Was that the uh, was that the riot game, Bubba? Yeah, the the riot that that involved non-East Carolina students, at least part of it, uh, you know, Raleigh High School students, and um, it was there's well, it was definitely something there, but it was really blown out, blown, blown out of proportion. I mean, we had gone to Raleigh 18 straight years uh, because uh, of them refusing to come to what was then Ficklin Stadium. So it was almost as though our fans looked at it like a neutral field because we had gone there 18 straight years. Yeah, number three on my list. Um, is uh, going to be a somewhat recent one. Um, well, I guess really not anymore. It's been it's been 13 years, hard to believe. Uh, 2010 season opener against Tulsa, the first game of the Russell McNeil era. Uh, that game was on a Sunday for whatever reason, live on ESPN, and uh, the Pirates find themselves trailing by I don't remember what it was four points, three points, two points, whatever it was. But we, we were down late, and we had one more play for the end zone. And Dominique Davis throws the Hail Mary touchdown. Pirates win. Um, just, you know, one of only, you know, I can only remember one other game. Well, that was sent to overtime against UTEP. That's the only game I can remember the Pirates winning on the Hail Mary. 
Bubba, there may have been another one. You you could probably tell me, but uh, the the win against Tulsa on a hail mary to open the season and the start of the Ruffin McNeil era is my number three. What, what what's your number three? Same game, um, East Carolina fifty one, Tulsa forty nine. It was a rare Sunday afternoon game. Yep. Um, and don't just right off the top of my head, I'm the only other game I can immediately think of that was on a Sunday afternoon was the A and T game because of the the lightning uh, suspension the previous night. I can give you one more. Let's see. Uh, it was an away what, game. What year? I can, I can give you. I can give you one that was on a Sunday afternoon and one that was on a Sunday night. Okay. The Sunday afternoon game was at UConn. Uh, oh Dublin. yes, 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 yes. So the the hurricane game. Correct. And then the Sunday night game was ESPN was experimenting with Sunday night football for college, and we played UCF on a Sunday night in 08. Yeah. I, I, I am shocked. I remembered something Bubba did. Yeah. Uh, I, I knew. I knew there was. I knew there was some. When I was thinking of that this afternoon and putting the list together or ranking the games, um, I was thinking that there was at least one more Sunday game. I'd forgotten about the UCF one, but definitely that UConn one. That's the one that I was that I knew I that I knew of that I just couldn't place. But um, Pirates uh, undefeated in Sunday games. No, <laughs> no, we're not. A and and Yeah. Damn it! We're undefeated against FBS opponents. But anyway, <laughs> um, but anyway, that game against Tulsa, you, you really felt like whoever had the ball last was going to win, and that turned out to be the case. Uh, neither team could stop the other. Um, Dominique Davis and the air raid offense under Lincoln Riley. First game of the Boneyard. I don't think we mentioned that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so you so you had fifty thousand plus first game of the Rough and Neil era, obviously, uh, and, and then the play quote, Big Ben, as they called it, from Dominique Davis to to Justin Jones. It, it was certainly a, a Hail Mary compared to that one at UTEP where it was uh, the bullet uh, the, from uh, Rob Cass to Jawan Crowell. But but that game, um, it was one that I really, as much as you can feel like you're going to win it on a Hail Mary, you felt that way because of the way that game had gone. Yeah. My, my number two game. It's actually a loss, but you got to include it on the list. At least I thought you did. Uh, the 91 season opener against Illinois. Uh, the Pirates go up to Champaign, make a big comeback, kick an onside kick, recover it, get called for excessive celebration and a BS call and end up losing the game. But it kind of catapulted this on to uh, everybody, I think, kind of looks at that game instead of, wow, we could have been undefeated. We kind of look at it as catapulting us to what we did the rest of the year. So even though it was a loss, I had to put the 91 game against Illinois as my number two. Uh, what's your number two, Bubba? My number two uh, was your number five, and that is the, the West Virginia game, East Carolina 30, Mountaineers 23 at Bank of America Stadium or Erickson Stadium, as I think it was then. Um, and that was uh, obviously the game where and Coach Connors has referenced this multiple times on our show or absolute empowerment on our platform, and that is um, where West Virginia referred to us during the summer as lightweight. And, Andrew, you can speak to this. I, I think I think you guys had had the gray shirts with the purple purple uh, font that said lightweight on it, if I'm not mistaken. And, and then uh, you, you had David Garrard after the – 
after that drive, about a 40-yard drive there in the final minute was set up by Keith Stokes' punt return. We'd heard how explosive um, Keith Stokes was and you know what a fit he was going to give opposing coverage teams, um, breaking tackles, and he did just that. And then uh, David Garrard, he had trimmed down from 260 to about 230, and the way he moved for, for a big man was – and that was unbelievable, um, just weaving in and out of the West Virginia defense to set up that final score. And I and something else I remember from that game, we ran for probably close to 350 yards, and Jamie Wilson, uh, Greenville native, D.H. Conley alum, had about half that. Hey, Jamie Wilson had a huge option run uh, on that last drive that set us up uh, at, at, the, uh, at, at the goal line. He did, and 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 then also, um, let's see what I had another point about that game. All very much like that 2000 and 2008 game against Virginia Tech, as far as being in Charlotte, and then we had largely controlled the game, but shot ourselves in the foot multiple times and had to win it at the very end because of it. So, and Kyle, what, what what's your number one? My number one most memorable game you just mentioned. Uh, my number one most number one most memorable season season opener in East Carolina football history is 2008 uh, at Virginia Tech, or excuse me, against Virginia Tech in Charlotte. Uh, like you said, we shot ourselves in the foot over and over again. Could could have easily been leading that game by ten points or more, but instead we found ourselves behind late. But we played a little beamer ball of our own. We block a punt, uh, scoop and score off the block punt. And uh, defense makes a stand, and the Pirates come away with the victory in Charlotte against Virginia Tech. And just uh, just remember the the ecstatic in Pirate Nation after that game. You you really you, you really felt like you know we followed it up next week by beating West Virginia. Um, but you really felt like we were about to do something special that year, and we did. We we won the conference championship in '08. But if we could have stayed healthy that year, I don't know what we would have ended up doing. We had so many injuries, so much attrition. But uh, my number one game would be that game against the Hokies with the uh, with the block kick and uh, T.J. Lee with with the with the block kick and the scoop and score uh, to, to to beat the Hokies in Charlotte. What's your number one, Bubba? That's my number one as well. Um, you remember going into that game, something we had not mentioned. Uh, I don't believe uh, Sean Glennon, Tyrod Taylor, uh, who was going to start at quarterback for Virginia Tech. They ended up going with Sean Glennon. Uh, and so they were going to try to to redshirt Tyrod Taylor. That didn't last long. Uh, as soon as they made the decision to start Glennon, I thought we had a chance anyway. But as soon as they decided to go with Glennon, uh, I felt very confident in the Pirates' chances of winning against the 17th-ranked Hokies. Um, like you mentioned, we had shot ourselves in the foot. We had the backwards pass, uh, screen pass to Dwayne Harris that got run in for a touchdown. And then you also had the same guy that returned that. Um, yeah, I think we might have lost Bubba there. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what else happened. We'll play he was referring to. but Sorry, uh, I dropped out for there for a minute got a phone call. But, yes, the the screen pass, it was a backwards pass. Dwayne Harris got the scoop and score. And then the same same guy, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but he's from Rocky Mount. 
he also took a block PAT back for two points. So right there, I forgot that, about that play, Bubba. That that led to nine points for Virginia Tech. So that really that put us in that situation where we were trailing twenty two twenty prior to the block punt and scoop and score by TJ Lee. And then also, I remember right there late in the second quarter, Nick Johnson had a big interception. Uh, I think it was late second quarter, right before halftime, um, where he had that pick that set up a score. And then, uh, obviously, the no flags on the field called by Kevin Monroe <laughs> on the on the scoop and score on the block punt by T.J. Lee. And then the the other thing I'd I'd uh, made a note of was just how that was, as you mentioned, the the second win over three straight wins over ranked teams, Boise State, the Hawaii Bowl to close 07, then 17th ranked Virginia Tech, and then number eight, West Virginia, the following week. Yeah, no doubt it was a great run. Uh, You said you also had some honorable mentions. I did not do honorable mentions. Bubba, if you want to run through your honorable mentions real fast. Yeah, very quickly. um, Did have that 91 game that you mentioned because the way it set the tone for the 91 season, as odd as that sounds, for a loss to set the tone, Pirates, Came back from down 38-10 to cut it to 38-31, recover an onside kick, and then the bogus celebration call um, that put us in a first and 25 situation and and uh, prevented what may have been a comeback there to, to maybe go for two, kind of like we did against Pitt and maybe win 39-38. Uh, and then also I had the first game of the Bill Lewis era where – Obviously, not a whole lot of success was had under Art Baker. And then Coach Lewis came in. Pirates blew out Bowling Green 41-6 to at Ficklin Stadium in front of uh, a near-packed house. I think about 33,500 that night as the stadium seated 35,000 then. And then uh, the other game I had was the season opener in 1990, Bill Lewis's second year. Uh, we, we defeated Louisiana Tech 27-17, and then that summer I had met Ken Burnett, um, junior linebacker at the time, down at Myrtle Beach, and so he said to come to the locker room after the season opener against La Tech. I did that and got to meet uh, Tom Scott, um, who was an offensive tackle on that team, ended up um, getting drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals. Also got to meet Jeff Blake as well as several other players. So that was a awesome opportunity and something very memorable for nine-year-old Bubba. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I, it sounds like it would have definitely been for any kid that loved the uh, that loved the Pirates to meet those guys. Um, guys, uh, I'm, a, go ahead, I'm impressed, fellas. You guys are true, uh, true ECU football historians. That was pretty impressive. We, uh, Bubba's sick, man. I, you know, I think I, I, I think I remember stuff, and and I do, I do remember things well. But Bubba's sometimes he, he what kills me about Bubba's remembering scores from games. I, I can remember details of games, any game. You ask me any game from East Carolina from the nineties until now, who won and what happened in the game, I can tell you. But what I'm horrible is remembering is, is the actual score. And that's well, how do I rem- how do I remember from when I was eight years old that we beat Bowling Green forty one to six? Yeah, I, I don't know how you remember the score. I, you know, I can remember. <laughs> I was not a pirate fan just yet at that time, but 
I would be able to remember we beat Bowling Green, but I would not be able to remember the score. Um, and that's, that's what gets me. Something else that I something else that really stood out about that game is our quarterback at the time, Travis Hunter, and we, we had a, a wide receiver, Walter Wilson, who went on to play, I believe it was San Diego Chargers. Um, but that game, Travis Hunter hooked up with Walter Wilson for three touchdowns, and that, that was something else that stood out about that one. Yeah, playing Mac games back <laughs> in those Playing Mac games back That's in the great. day, the, the Mac sucked back then, and it, it, it become a little bit better over the last 20, 25 years. But early 90s, Mac football was garbage. Um, a- Andrew, I uh, wanted to talk about one more subject here before we wrap things up. Uh, just yeah, I'm sure you'll want to participate in this because why not? Everybody else does. Um, we'll talk about a little conference realignment. We're just going to touch on it briefly. It's been talked to death, obviously. We all know what happened with the Pac-12. There's four teams left. Uh, it appears, it appears Cal Stanford, along with uh, some of you from the American, uh, are talking with the ACC. Um, I um, got something on the screen there. Uh, favorite season opener. There you go. Who's his favorite season? Yeah, opener, I just, right? I told Kenneth I would. Um, I, I forgot to throw that up there when we were talking about that Virginia Tech game, but that was both of our number ones. Appreciate you chiming in, Kenneth. Yeah, I thought Dave was here for a minute. Um, I uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Well, well done, well done. I um, so just uh, talking about the um, conference expansion. So, it, Cal, Stanford, SMU rumored to be talking with the ACC. I personally don't think it's going to happen. Um, I, I just do not see the value in the ACC adding those three schools, particularly when Clemson and Florida State are asking for more money. Why would they want to, you know, spread the pot even thinner? Now, I'm sure the ESPN will give them a little bit more money, but you're probably talking at most for those three additions of maybe a $5 million increase per school, which to the American would be a lot if we went from $8 million to $13 million. But going from $30 million to $35 million, I mean, I guess $5 million is $5 million. But I, I, with the travel costs, I just don't see it happening. I do not see Cal Stanford and SMU going to the ACC. Now, um, before we move on to the other expansion rumors, let me get both of your thoughts on this. Um, back when Virginia – Back when the ACC was invading the Big East, and uh, it appeared the Big East was just going to add Syracuse and little, excuse me, the ACC was going to add Syracuse and Boston College uh, from the Big East. The Virginia governor mandated that the University of Virginia, the only way they could vote to add anybody from the Big East, being Virginia Tech was in the conference, is if Virginia Tech was included. And because of that, Virginia Tech got in the ACC. So I asked both of you, if you were John Gilbert, would you be reaching out to Roy Cooper since SMU is in talks with the ACC and they are in the American and ask Roy Cooper to do the same for us? Tell North Carolina and North Carolina State, you cannot vote to add anybody from the American Athletic Conference, East Carolina's conference, unless East Carolina is also invited. Now, do I think that would get us into the ACC? No, but it would keep SMU from going to the Ameri- from going to the ACC and keep them in the American because they're not going to vote. They're not going to vote us in. So therefore, that would eliminate SMU, and we we'd get to keep them, which would further our plans. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's a play. It's definitely a play that can be had. But I mean, what's the end game? You know, ultimately, what you know, big picture. What what's the end game, and what where where is this all going? I mean, ultimately, you know, is the ACC going to be a, you know, is ACC going to be there right with that, 
the AAC and, you know, some of these conferences that are going to be on the outside, you know, looking in as far as what this premier structure is shaping up to be, you know, between the SEC and the Big Big Ten, Big 12, whatever, um, you know, it's going to be a conglomerate of premier schools and everyone else is going to be on the outside. And um, I just don't know how big that premier group is going to be. I mean, have you guys discussed what ultimately that that premier group is going to look like? I mean, it seems like that's the way it's shaping up. Well, I me. mean, I, I think this, uh, that gets mind-bogglingly big picture. Um, and I think that is coming. I don't think that's what that'll be with this round of expansion. But I do think um, when the current college football playoff runs out in two or three more years, I think that may happen. Um, I think it'll probably end up being uh, on at the most 60 to 65 schools, at the least 30 to 40 schools. Uh, mm -hmm. It'll be the Big Ten, the SEC, and um, some combination of schools from the ACC and Big 12. Um, but, uh, Bubba, you, you want to um, – Back to the to the uh, what we were just discussing about um, the 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 SMU involvement in this and uh, and Roy Cooper, uh, can, can you you want to read what you had just put on the screen that, that Denny O'Brien had tweeted out? Yeah, so Governor Roy Cooper he, he apparently he sent a letter to the NCAA president to grant Tez Walker. I'm proud to say I didn't even know who Tez Walker was or is, but um, to grant Tez Walker's transfer waiver, nothing could be bigger or more important to Tez than the opportunity to get a fine university education at UNC and to compete in front of his family in Carolina Blue. So then Denny O'Brien, former writer for Bonesville.net, uh, says, so – at NC underscore governor uh, Cooper in, in, intervenes on the eligibility of some random transfer for his beloved Hills, but he does not leverage his political position to propel ECU at a time of major conference shuffle when the ACC is exploring adding teams. And particularly, and, and what Danny forgot to mention there is adding teams from our conference. That's the problem. It, and that's where I think he needs to step in. Um, if SMU, and, and, and to be honest with you, I don't, I, at the end of the day, I don't think camp Stanford, Cal, or SMU is going to get invited to the ACC. But, uh, so at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to matter, but we, we could ensure, I don't think it would get us into the ACC, but we can ensure that SMU didn't get in. And why is that important? It keeps them in the American. Why is it so important we keep SMU in the American? Because one of the potential scenarios out there, uh, is that, Oregon State and Washington State, along with Boise State and San Diego State, are interested in joining the American, um, one of the many scenarios, uh, to uh, to form an 18-team conference that would go from the East Coast to the West Coast. And uh, it, it's going to kind of come down to, I think, guys, you know, there's, there's the same rumors that they're going to merge with the Mountain West. And I think that's more likely if Stanford and Cal don't get in the ACC that the four stay together merge with the Mount West to keep the Pac-12 branding? And then, you know, would they try to poach from the American at that point? But I think it's going to come down to who wants to spend the most money on this hybrid league. Uh, will it be ESPN to help the American expand? Or will it be Fox to help the Mountain West expand and become the new Pac-12? 
what are your guys' thoughts on those two scenarios? Hmm. You want to jump in, Bubba? I mean, not like I, to me, it's all mind-boggling where where it's headed and the shuffling, the reshuffling of these conferences. You know, I if for me, it's it's hard to keep track of where where it is and where it's all going. Um, ultimately, you know, I don't think the game of football is gonna is gonna hurt. You know, I know people complain about this you know these changes and the way it's going to work and ultimately what it could look like down the road but at the end of the day i think fans want college football um i think they want the excitement and the way whatever way these conferences sh shake out you know the fans aren't going anywhere and you know the realignments are going to hurt and the money you know ultimately the big money is going to go to the big schools it always has and the rest is going to play out and you know, some schools are going to get the opportunity to jump in with the big boys and some big current big schools now that are that are there are going to have to, you know, take a step back. And that's just the way it is. But for a school like ECU, I don't you know, ultimately, I think things don't change much. I, I think, you know, you once things level out, you know, you're going to have a competitive level of play and, you know, things are going to go on the way that, that they have. I, I don't. You know, I don't know how significantly the money is going to change, whether it will um, from where we're at currently. Um, hopefully things get better. I, surely that would help our program. But ultimately, I don't you know, it's so hard to look at at, at this realignment and see what's going to happen, because it seems like things change daily. Well, if the if the if the Oregon State, Washington State, Boise State, San Diego State uh, thing were to play out where they those four would join the American that would mean ESPN has decided to pony up to help the American expand. So, like I said, I think it's, I think those schools are going to end up, like I said, merging with the Mountain West, either with the American, and it's going to come down to who's willing to spend more money on that new conference. Is it going to be ESPN yeah. or is it going to be Fox with the Mountain West? So, uh, you know, Bubba, are, are you back? Did you want to, did you have any thoughts on those two scenarios? Um, so I didn't hear your scenarios. I, I was going to chime uh, the mountain, in. The Mountain West, the Mountain West Pac-12 scenario, and then the American Mountain West, uh, the, the the scenario we discussed last night, and then the and then the American Mountain West, or the Mountain the Mountain West Pac-12 <laughs> scenario, and then the scenario we discussed last night via your source. Yeah, the, the scenario with Oregon State and Washington State, and then Boise State and San Diego State. Uh, that's one that um, someone very well connected within the within the business um, believes that that's a very real possibility, as had um, folks that he had spoken with. So that's one to definitely strongly consider. You know, keep, keep in your mind that that, that uh, has a real shot at happening. But but like the Oregon State AD said, and we read that quote a few nights ago. He's never seen anything like this. Yes, it's been crazy before. Yes, you've seen um, teams go well beyond their region. But as far as the money involves, the timing, things, you know, people turning on a dime and, and just, you know, pivoting, going to the complete 180, he said he's never seen anything like it. 
when you take into consideration all factors. You know, it's insane, and uh, I'm, I'm, it's re- I'm really sad it's happening. I hate to see the Pac-12 go away as it is. And, you know, one article I read today would be very troubling, and uh, you read so much you don't know what's true. Uh, that article had it playing out where Stafford and Cal are not going to get in the ACC, that they would stay with Oregon State, Washington State, keep the Pac-12 alive by having the Mountain West merge and then poaching four teams from the American. And guess what? We want one of those four. And uh, that is a scenario that would be a nightmare for the Pirates. And at that point, I think you'd have to abandon ship and join the Sun Belt. Uh, but anyway, hopefully it won't come to that. Um, guys, do you have any final thoughts as we wrap up the first episode of just another sports podcast? I uh, just wanted to promote some of our upcoming content. We've done a lot of opponent previews recently. We have now previewed nine out of the Pirates, 12 opponents. So definitely go back and check those out. They're all listed in the, in the or bookmarked rather in the playlist, ECU football 2023. So that list has our opponent previews, position previews. Also, Mike Houston's post-practice press conferences, uh, et cetera. So uh, already have probably... 40 or 50 uploads in that um, or shows in, in that folder in one easy playlist to access. Uh, so most recently today I caught up with Bruce Howard. He's a longtime play-by-play voice of the Tulsa golden hurricane. Uh, also Kyle and I recently caught up with Matthew Bartlett. He is a beat writer for, for the rice owls, excuse me for the roost. Um, the guys, uh, I was unable to take part, but Dave and Kyle and Matt uh, caught up with Corey Glore, the play-by-play voice of the Tulane Green Wave. And then uh, the only teams we have not covered yet are Charlotte, Michigan, and SMU. Uh, we've kind of been back and forth for a few weeks now, if not longer, with John Jansen. He's the color analyst for Michigan trying to get that worked out. Earlier, he was on vacation. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking with the beat writer uh, for the Charlotte 49ers, uh, for the Charlotte Observer, and then the Highway 49 podcast, and then uh, striving to get Rich Phillips, uh, the play-by-play voice of the SMU Mustangs on, or at least a beat writer. So, um, And then as far as other programming, on Friday, we'll have another edition of A Pirate's Life for Me with Zach Darty, a loyal Pirate fan. I'm a season ticket holder, member of the Pirate Club, and then also he has two degrees from East Carolina, including an MBA. Uh, you had Absolute Empowerment, um, former East Carolina strength and conditioning coach Jeff Connors, who uh, Andrew Bays mentioned earlier, as far as um, someone that uh, is definitely Hall of Fame worthy and worthy of that nomination. Uh, he, he had Dr. George Koontz and also Robert Jones on his last two episodes of Absolute Empowerment. And then, uh, again, this is just another sports podcast. Join Stevie and Kyle each and every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. Yeah, and again, the last thing I had is uh, thoughts and prayers again to Stevie. He, uh, he you know, l- losing his dad. I lost my mom. Uh, back in uh, March, so I know how he's feeling. I know exactly what he's going through. To lose a parent unexpectedly is, uh, is you know, it's, it's a sad thing. So, again, hopefully Stevie will be able to join us next week. And, 
and if not, soon thereafter. And uh, guys, we haven't got anything else. Uh, we'll wrap this thing up. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Uh, Andrew, did you have any uh, social media that you want to promote? Okay, I guess uh, Andrew's not with us, but uh, I uh, so I'll, I'll wrap this thing up then. Bubba, did you want to read that comment there? All you got on the screen? Yeah, and just a pirate fan chiming in. That's we're closing things out on YouTube. <clears throat> he just said, uh, I may be optimistic, but I think ECU will break out this year under the likes of Mike Houston and Mason Garcia leading the way. Um, I, and I, I agree. I think if, if Mason progresses, there, there's certainly going to be, there's going to be those growing pains. And so just expect it. But if, if he plays um, pretty sound football and I, I like what we have at other positions and I really like, uh, some of what we brought in on on the defensive side and improved length and athleticism and speed, um, I would not be surprised to see us, you know, be in contention entering the month of November. But we we shall see. All right, hey, Kyle, you got Kyle, you got me. Yeah, I got you, Andrew. I'm back. Hey, you guys can 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 reach me on Facebook, but I, you know, to to Bubba's thoughts, you know, I I think we need to be patient, you know, with. Uh, whoever it's going to be, if it's Mason, um, you know, we need to be patient at quarterback position. The thing that we were dominant on last year was, was turnover margin. Um, I don't think people realize how efficient Holt, Holton was last year. He threw 28 touchdowns and only five interceptions. Yep. We were fourth. ECU was fourth in the country in turnover margin with a plus 13. So, you know, I say that because, you know, that, that was a, a fifth year quarterback you know, understanding reading defenses, understanding defensive fronts, knowing the offense in and out. And, you know, we've got to be patient uh, with the next, you know, step at quarterback here because there are going to be some growing pains. Turnovers were, you know, we excelled in that last year and we can expect turnovers this year. We played in some tight games where turnovers were a factor and, um, you know, at, at least on our end, as far as not turning the ball over and, you know, in those tight games, you give up a, a turnover or two, some things can change. So, you know, I, I, I think we need to be patient, like Bubble was, was saying, and, you know, appreciate the season that Holton had last year and the Pirates had for, you know, being fourth in the country with that turnover margin. And yeah. Kyle, we did ha we did have one more comment on Facebook Live. Matt Semenza, uh, Andrew Bay's former teammate, chiming in saying, "I'd like to know why Andrew didn't lower his shoulder when he ran the ball against West Virginia." Uh, I remember that. <laughs> I want to say I want to say was, we played them up there back to back years. I want to say it was '97 and not '96, but I remember um, Coach Logan, the look on his face. I mean, like, you took off running, Andrew, and then and then you fumbled, and it bounced right back up to you on that old carpet <laughs> turf. I yeah, I was playing at that point. To to Semenza's comment, I was playing with house money when that when that ball bounced up in my in my hands, and uh, I got the first down. I figured I was I was rolling with house money there. To his point, I should I should have continued up the field and try to truck somebody, but that was not in my brain. My brain was. Uh, to not get hit, to not get hurt, and uh, to run out of bounds. And um, what what people forget on that very next play, they uh, Coach Logan called a reverse um, reverse Jason Nickel 
throw to Lamont Chappelle for a touchdown down the sideline on the very next play. Sudden change. Coach Logan loves <laughs> sudden change. Yeah. That's uh and that's where it's at. So yeah, I I'm I was not running over anybody and Semenza knows that and that's why he said that. It'd been like Matt Matt Dodge ten years later. Right, that's right. <laughs> well, if it was Billy Waver, he would have asked you why didn't you lower your headgear. But anyway, all right, right. I guess we'll uh we'll, we'll wrap this thing up. And uh, you know, uh again, uh stay tuned for all the content that Bubba promoted. Uh, you know, there there's a team boneyard graphic on the screen if you're watching. Uh get, you know, give to that. We need NIL money, give to the Pirate Club, you know, and, and, and the uh, Pirates Unite campaign. We, we we've got to get the money raised for the indoor practice facility. So uh Get out there and give some money to ECU, damn it. You know, know you got plenty to go around in this economy. All right, for Andrew Bays, for Bubba Rosenbaum, and uh, in spirit for Stevie Fly, I am Kyle Barber. You have been watching and listening to just another sports podcast as part of the Sports Objective Network. As always, go Pirates and good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.